Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org to donate. Thank you. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I said before, believe it or not, we're actually at the end of the year, not at the end of December, but here in the month of November. Today, the church starts all over again as we end one liturgical year and we move on to the next. And this Sunday, the last Sunday in the church year before we start again with Advent, is often called Christ the King Sunday. And while I love this particular festival of the church, I've often thought it's a strange fit given our American background. Because unless you're a big fantasy nerd and you love things like Lord of the Rings or King Arthur or Arthur or these kinds of fantasy tales, you probably aren't used to talking about a king. In fact, this country was founded as we threw off the yoke of a kingship, right? As we got rid of those guys. Self-governance is the name of the game in America, which is quite counter to the way things were in, uh, in biblical times. In fact, If you want to characterize in American politics your opponent as somebody who doesn't listen to people, they often say this person has made himself into a king, right? Who appointed him as dictator for life, this kind of idea. The Bible, on the other hand, is very comfortable with the concept of kings, but not divine right, whatever I say goes, right? My word is law, but rather the king in the Bible was supposed to be someone who wouldn't pursue his own desire, his own will, but rather someone who would look to what God desired for his people, to kind of shepherd the people, right? To serve God through this position, this kind of idea. So the kingly quality of the Bible and of the characters therein can be seen right away from the beginning in Genesis, right? And the story of creation we get a sort of procession, right? God speaks all these things into being, and the crown jewel, if you will, the king of creation, is Adam, mankind, entering into the procession at the very end, right? The the last person to enter is really who the day is all about. I've said in middle school that it's like a wedding, right? Who's the wedding all about? It's about the bride as she enters in last. And so here is Adam, and yet what's Adam's problem? Well, Adam's problem is that he's kind of a bad king, right? That he exercises authority on his own behalf. He seeks to become like God, no longer serving, but seeing himself as equal to his creator and really going beyond what God has ordained. So what happens? Well, we know, who are familiar with the story, that there are disastrous consequences for both Adam and for the world, right? Where the king goes, their creation follows, their God's people follow, and this inevitably ends in shame, sin, disgrace. So we can say here that sin is actually depicted as 
bad kingship, right? Bad rule. Just what kind of king has Adam turned out to be? One who didn't pursue justice, banishing the serpent. One who blames his wife when his sin is shown before him. And the result of this is ultimately death and decay for everything around him. Where he goes, there his country follows. Only now he goes into darkness, away from the light of God. Now, in middle school, we often talk about the various kings in Israel, and they're pretty perceptive, right? They pick up on this pattern of kings in the Bible. You see, God ordains a king, right? Makes it so. The king, for a while, kind of governs in accordance with what God generally wants, but inevitably something happens. They disobey, they put their own desires, their own wants first, and they either repent and point forward to their own need for a savior or their kingship ends. All of this, I think interestingly, underscores the idea that God wants to shepherd his people through a human intermediary. But all of those figures in the Old Testament fall short in some way, right? They just don't quite satisfy So where should we look when we, like many of the Old Testament saints, want God to step into the picture, right? Like in our Old Testament lesson just a few moments ago, it says, I, the Lord, will shepherd my people. In other words, I myself will do the job that they're unable to do, right? What do we do when we look for that new David, that new king? For Christians, we understand the answer is quite clear, right? Christ Jesus is that new, better king, that new, better David. All over the Bible, you'll find people praying this prayer, particularly in the prophets. How long, O Lord, are you going to delay? How long are you going to leave us to our own devices? How long until you make things right? And now, in Christ Jesus, in the incarnation, God became incarnate. God became man, took on flesh, and now is that new better king we've always been looking for. And that actually is the central theme of Advent, that God is no longer far off from his people, but rather has become incarnate in order to rule in our midst and serve humanity by means of that kingship. Matthew, if you read through Matthew, which is a great kind of Lent or uh, Advent kind of book to, to refresh yourself on, really goes out of his way to point out that Jesus is the new, better David. The God-man, Christ Jesus, rules divinely and is now the answer to humanity's problem. And yet, there's also a paradox there, right? There's kind of a problem when we notice the context that Jesus is uh, born into. As we go through Advent, you'll see that there's really a rivalry between two opposing kings. One, of course, is King Jesus. We know that. The other king is King Herod, and his rule and reign looks a lot different than that of Christ Jesus's. You see, he rules in Jerusalem, in the city where we would expect a king to be. Herod is a man fully grown, right? At the height of his powers, we could say. He has authority. He has wealth. He has might. He checks all the boxes for what you'd probably be expecting in a king compared to this other person, Jesus. Because Jesus arrives not in power, but in humility 
and in service. He arrives, in fact, in squalor, no palace, instead not even room for him at the inn. Yet this king, who rules in this strange, seemingly backwards way, is the one of whom the angels say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Christ Jesus is the reason that there is now peace between God and man. So what does this rule look like, right? If we look at the world around us, we're very familiar with the way people impose their will on the world around them. How do they do it? Through violence, through conflict, through pain and suffering. And yet, Jesus' kingship looks nothing like that. Jesus' kingship brings a peace which surpasses understanding. He, in fact, is the greatest of all by becoming least of all, servant and slave to all, serving the needs of humanity. This Jesus and his kingship is totally the opposite of King Herod's. Jesus heals the blind. He restores fellowship to outcasts. He brings together saints and sinners and gathers them around his table. This court is a strange mix of individuals, and yet Jesus is once again showing us what it means to be church, which is to ultimately share the love of God, make all things new, invite more to the table and into the conversation, rule by serving like Christ Jesus would have the church serve. Go back to that theme of self-governance, right? A concept that we're all familiar with as Americans. What do we get when we make the world in our own image? And I think we do this all the time, whether we believe it or not, right? We always want my will to be done, right? We want to put our own needs first quite often. And yet, when we govern according to our passions, things quickly go off the rails. You can see this actually in the Old Testament, right? In 1 Samuel, the elders of Israel come together and they tell Samuel, listen, you might be the prophet, but you're old, you're kind of out of touch, you can't rule your household because your kids are kind of insane, so we want to be like the other nations. Give us a king like those outside of Israel have. We want to be like the other guys. What happens? They were called to be holy and set apart from the nations. They were called to follow in God's statutes. But Israel wants to be like the pagans surrounding them. And so God does send them a king. But if you know the story, he's a tyrant. He's Saul. The king is sent, but it ends up being a punishment. So often, we are like Israel. We want what our heart says we want. And we want specifically what we can't have. And sometimes when we receive what we want, we find out that our heart was deceitful all along the way. That maybe this isn't actually something good, something life-given. Maybe we find out that our heart's desire was actually the opposite. Turned in on itself, sinful and evil. When we rule ourselves, much like Adam, we end up enslaved to our own sin, our own suffering, our own desire. Now, what's kind of cool is that when we get to the end of the church year, there's a surprising message here because we Lutherans take the time to remember what the end of the church year and indeed the end of the story is all about. When we get to Revelation, 
we don't like to go through Revelation and try to figure out exactly when Jesus is coming back and what this means in terms of current events. In fact, to do those things is to entirely miss the point of Revelation. At the center of Revelation, and I'd love for you to take a look at the picture on the cover of our bulletin there, because it's a beautiful kind of piece of Christian artwork, right? At the center of Revelation is this lamb who was slain, who's yet reigning over the great feast, right? This crucified, risen one is actually the center of the book of Revelation. What does that tell us? Despite all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all of our suffering, when we look at the world around us, sin is one of the only demonstrable things that we can point to in the world around us. And yet, in spite of all of that, we take great comfort because even now, the lamb who is slain has begun his reign. There he is, standing triumphant, even in the midst of hurt, suffering, sin, and doubt. That's the church's confession. We speak those words of life into the world around us, because they're not natural to us otherwise. By faith, we know that Jesus Christ the crucified is reigning over all things. Through faith, we know that the battle is over and our victory over sin, death, and the devil is won because Christ Jesus is risen. Faith attains to those promises. Through the lens of the cross, we can look around at the world around us and see that whatever is happening, whether it be war, plague, famine, bloodshed, terror, any problem we face in life, none of those things can rob us of our hope that we have in the gospel. Christ Jesus is, in fact, the greater Adam because through his cross, he banishes sin and Satan forever. He crushes these things under the foot of Calvary. And that's what the church confesses week in and week out. We gather together around a preview of the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom, which has no end. Jesus Christ the King is victorious, and nothing can rob the church of that sure and certain hope of that promise. So we rejoice then that revelation literally means pulling back the curtain, right? The real thing is happening. We're simply revealing that to be true. So what does that mean? We rejoice knowing that one day our hope will in fact be revealed, right? Our eyes will see what even now our lips confess as we gather together to sing hymns, to sing praises, and to speak words of life and hope amongst the congregation of saints. Until that day, we simply fulfill our calling in speaking those words into the world around us. The word of the Lord endures forever. And in fact, that word is what gives us present hope, forgiveness, and peace. And that's kind of what our gospel lesson is getting at, right? Because even the righteous there, as they're separated, don't really understand that they were serving Jesus all along. Take a close look at what our reading says. It says, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. That brother's language is really important. He's speaking to the church. What he's telling the church is, fulfill your calling as part of the priesthood of all believers. Provide 
pastoral care by reminding your neighbor that their sins are forgiven, that you are part of God's family, you are a precious possession that Christ has bought back by means of his blood and resurrection. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is your calling because you have been made righteous. You have been forgiven. You are a great prize in the eyes of Christ your Savior. You have been bought back from sin and death by the blood of the Lamb who even now is reigning. Even more than this, your robe has been washed white as snow in baptism by that very same blood of Jesus that washes over all your sins. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, God's special possession. Set free so that you could declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And in fact, the church does far more than just sing. You work mercy in the lives around you by caring for the least of these. You care for the needs of your fellow Christian by preaching the word and pointing them to Christ, the crucified. You bind up the wounds caused by sin and suffering through the forgiveness of the gospel. All that we do is for the sake of the gospel because it reminds people that in spite of all the brokenness we see, Christ the King is reigning. Christ the King is serving and is even now serving you by means of his word and sacraments. Amen. And now may the peace that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.